was praying just now for Brother Eric, I remembered something that happened in our group many years ago. Some of you were probably there. Um, but when we first started our Friday night group, Brother Nathan and I had a group together. Brother Mark was there. Some of you were there. And, um, you know, it was a vulnerable time for everybody. <laughs> it was certainly a vulnerable time for Brother Nathan and myself because we were in our 20s. We felt like we were kids trying to have a meeting without the grown-ups, you know. And who is adequate to the task? You know, sometimes the Lord throws you in to circumstances that are completely outside of your comfort zone. And that's when we want to hole up and say, Lord, save by the hand of whoever else you will send or whatever. But it's been my experience that all through your life, if you're really living for God, it is going to be an adventure. <laughs> and it's not going to be an adventure like a Hollywood movie where the outcome is assumed. It's going to be a feeling of walking on the water and feeling the very real possibility that if you don't keep your eyes in the right place, you're going to sink. But that if you would, there's possibilities that could unfold in your life that you never would have foreseen, that you never could have done by yourself. But the one that called you out of the boat is able. And you discover things about yourself. You go places that you never thought you could have gone. But anyway, I remember that meeting, a particular meeting in that season. And I say it was vulnerable for everybody because it, it wasn't just vulnerable for those of us who were trying to lead. It was vulnerable for those who had chosen to follow people that they knew were young and inexperienced and incompetent and insufficient to the task. But they too had volunteered for it. They had said, we feel to be in this group. We feel to be part of this. And different ones of my peers came to me and humbled me by telling me, I feel like God has told me to submit to you. And I, you know, I would feel like, you know, you want to give disclaimers and you want to start talking about how that's not a good idea or, or whatever, but you could also feel like God wouldn't be pleased if you did that because you'd be hiding from what God's people needed you to become. Anyway, so it was a vulnerable time for everybody, and I remember those first meetings feeling like this was a miracle. God showed up <laughs> in spite of our, our inadequacies and such. God was there. He met us. He picked us up when we fell. You know, he, he, he moved and did the impossible. But I remember, I remember a certain sister, and I think it would be okay for me to say this. This sister is now with the Lord. But Sister Carrie Matthews was, was with us, and she was one of the ones that, that humbled us by saying she felt to be in our group. And she was in her, must have been in her 60s probably by then, and um, she felt to be with us even though she was old enough to be the mother of almost everybody in the room. And I remember her, she would testify in meetings, and she would try to admonish the young people. And it was good, and it was sweet and everything, but it was seemed bottled up a lot of times. It seemed like it was something she felt like she was supposed to do. This was supposed to be her role, you know. And then I remember a meeting in which she just burst open her heart and said, 
God is dealing with me about trying to project what I think I'm supposed to be for everybody here. And I don't have anything to offer anybody but what God gives me. And I just want to come and be a child along with you all and learn and kneel at his feet. I don't even remember what all she said. I just remember the feeling of it. And the meeting burst open. I mean, people started praying through on the spot from the conviction that came into their hearts because she was simply real. I don't know about you, but to me, there's nothing that is so convicting and so inspiring as to see somebody be completely transparent, to exercise unclothed, to be authentic, to be real. And when you see that, and you see that child of God in somebody, even when they're a saint of God that's been living for God for decades, you say, oh God, that's what I really want. That's what I really want to be. I want to get past my complexes. I want to get past who I think that I'm supposed to be. And I, because I don't know who I am. I can remember one of the more pivotal moments in my own life as a young person. And I've told you this before, I think, but I think I was 19 years old and God was calling me out of my shell just like he's speaking to us here today. And he was calling me out of my images. And I remember giving this testimony in a Friday night meeting and I mean, pressing past the point of anywhere I'd ever been before. And I remember saying, I could feel this feeling in the room like that something was going on that had never gone on before. And that everybody was kind of realizing that, including me. And I said, I know everybody's thinking that this doesn't seem a lot like Dan. But I don't want to be like Dan. I want to be like Jesus. And it was a turning point in my life where I was no longer self-defining. I was no longer trying my best to be the person that I thought I was supposed to be. I was trying to feel after God, and I was waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, even in my own life. That's the passage that talks about even when we don't know how to pray as we ought to, the Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, even as we ourselves groan within ourselves who have the first fruits of that Spirit. The Spirit is what is transforming us from faith to faith into his image. It says in John that it does not yet appear what we shall be like. Do you believe that? It does not yet appear what we shall be like, but when he appears, we shall be like him. Amen. We're looking for the unveiling of Christ in us, the hope of glory. And even our best efforts, our, our good intentions, of how we think we're supposed to do. That's what I felt the Holy Ghost and what Sister Karen said there at the beginning. You know, something comes up inside of me. Well, what am I supposed to do? How is this supposed to be? I've got to try to somehow. And that that's not what it is. Amen. It's about yielding to a power that is beyond us that wants to take us someplace that we would never go. Someplace we've never been before. And I would suggest to you that if you're happy with where you all are already. I think I did a pretty good job there, you know. I think I gave a pretty good testimony. I think I, I think I sung that song pretty well. I think I ministered with real authority or whatever. 
God, that's what we got to get shed of. You're not, you're done changing if that's the way you think, if that's the way you feel. But if something in you is intensely dissatisfied, amen, with all those places where you say, God, I can feel I'm not there yet. Every time somebody stands up with an unveiled face, I say, oh God, that's what I want to be like. And I know I'm not there yet, but I got to get there. And then you don't fight like a man beating the air. You say, oh God, I'm going to reach for the high calling. And I'm not going to be content with this and seeing, well, it seemed like that went over pretty good. Do you see the difference? You know, I didn't speak with Brother Evan. We didn't speak at all about this meeting or, or what the Lord might have in mind. Can I read you something that I brought to the meeting? Some of what I felt to share, God has already spoken. So I'll try not to repeat it, but this is something that's been on my heart for a little while, but I brought it today and felt like the Lord was going to release me to read this to you. This is from the character curriculum. And, you know, I was reading where Jesus tells the disciples in Luke 12, it says there that then an innumerable company of people had gathered together. There were so many people there with needs that they were trampling on each other, trying to get into access to what Jesus might be doing. And then it says that Jesus said first to his disciples something. And it struck me how it says it there. I was going to read it to you. But it says there that he's, he called his disciples and first began to say to them. And it was like he was saying, if you guys want to be part of the ministry that is going to meet the incredible needs that surround us, then there's something I need to tell you. And he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. I don't think he was just telling them, watch out for those guys. Those are bad guys. He was telling them, don't you be like them. Don't you be somebody with pretenses. Don't you be somebody with affected mannerisms and the manipulations and so forth that you think are going to demonstrate to God and to other people that you're doing the right thing and you're going to do all the Christian stuff. You're going to have a form of godliness, but you're going to deny its power because there's something in you that is leavened. I told somebody yesterday, I think, leaven is a very small amount. But Paul says, you know, a little bit of leaven will leaven the whole lump. You can have this whole life of activities, of words, of appearances, of things that do on some external level conform to what God wants us to be and do. But if you have the leaven of the Pharisees inside of that, then that little string of motive changes the whole thing into an abomination in the sight of God. Because you're taking what should be the identity and the image of Christ and you're corrupting it. You're putting a little bit of your own ambition and your own ideas and your own self-consciousness and awareness into the middle of something that otherwise could be valuable and could be useful. And therefore, you're also training everybody else around you to say what so many people say about Christians today. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Somebody who maintains an appearance of one thing, but really it's not authentic. It's not real. It's not who they really are. They're putting a trip over on me. 
these are a couple of excerpts from the character curriculum on that topic. The Greek word in the New Testament translated hypocrisy is hypocrisis. Reinecker states that the basic meaning of the word is to answer from under, and it refers to actors who spoke under a mask in playing a part. You're covered up. You're not transparent. The actors hid their true selves behind the role they were playing. The word indicates the concealing of wrong feelings, character, etc., under the pretense of better ones. The hypocrite affects or strikes a pose. He puts on false feelings and engages in false actions to mask and disguise what is truly taking place inside of himself. He isn't an open book, but he speaks from under a false cover. You know, there's, there's so many ways to hide. Brother Evan was referring to his own testimony about being one who hides in the corner and who doesn't want to say anything for fear of looking foolish or, or being exposed or whatever. But you know, there's a thousand roles that an actor plays. An actor can put on any persona, and so can our flesh. And sometimes it's the most gregarious people that are hiding. We hide behind our personalities. We have strength of personality. We have strength of wit. We have strength of humor or intellect or... There's a thousand different ways that we hide behind what we perceive as our strength, the strength of our personality. That's another word for the flesh most of the time. And we picture ourselves as, well, I'm the strong, silent type. Or I'm, I'm the joker, you know, or I'm the spiritual one. And sometimes even in our hearts, there's something in us. That, I mean, we know that we're supposed to be righteous. And yet when we project our righteousness, it's anything but righteous, isn't it? When it's affected. It struck me how Brother Evan said, and I won't quote this quite right, I don't think, but you all just heard it. You said it towards the beginning. You said, I lost who I really was and became so invested in the images that I put forth that I started to become those things. I started to become the mask that I was wearing. My identity started to conform to what I thought was going to protect me or save me or what I thought I was supposed to be, you know. And we, we think that we see it, that it's obvious. It's always obvious when we see it in other people, isn't it? Most of us are pretty good at detecting insincerity in other people. And yet we view ourselves as being real. If I can't come out of myself and be vulnerable, it's only because I'm trying to be real. And I'd hate to put on a show, you know. And I can feel how totally unnatural it would be for me to yield to the Spirit here. And I wouldn't want to be false, you know. I wouldn't want to be fake. So in the integrity of my heart, I'll just be who I've always been. But that too is hiding, isn't it? The Bible says, quit you like mere men. The very thing we're supposed to be escaping from is who we naturally are. And that's 
what God's speaking to us this morning, isn't it? The hypocrite is the greatest enemy of truth just because he hides his lies behind such a facade of truth. He tries to impress us with a show of righteousness that becomes a mockery of righteousness, making righteousness itself appear to be a lie and a mere performance. Consequently, the real person behind the mask is never seen. The hypocrite cannot enter into a real relationship with God or man because no one can truly know him. The Old Testament Hebrew word translated hypocrite is hanef, which literally means to soil, to corrupt, to defile, to pollute, to profane. We could say, I think, to leaven. The hypocrite hides lovelessness behind feigned love, manipulative care, ingratiating kindness, insincere sincerity, and a mockery of obedience. He even deceives himself into believing that his relationship with others rests on his false image in their eyes. He deceives himself into believing that his relationship with others depends on his image in their eyes. What a trap. I'm trying to live up to what I think I have projected to so-and-so that I am. I think that they think that I'm a mature brother. And so I've got to... And, and if they were to see past that, if they were to see that really I feel the insecurity, I feel vulnerable, I feel inadequate, I feel like I'm just a child sometimes trying to learn. If they were to see through that, they'd probably drop me. Then they'd never trust me on the job. Then they'd never approve of me getting married. Then they'd never allow me to be part of this ministry or that because they would see how broken I am. And I'll call it living up to the image of God. You know, I've got to just be it, even though something inside of my deepest conscience says, I know I'm not there. I know I'm not what I really want to project to be. But I know no other course other than to keep on trying to project. Has anybody ever been in that position before? What a trap that is. And you'll find yourself feeling like, I can't make anybody happy. You know, I, I give the emotional, dramatic, whatever response to my father or, or, or testimony in the meeting or whatever. And, and I can feel no, nobody feels that. Nobody feels good about that. And so I try, I try just, well, I'm just going to be humble and not say anything. Because that's, I'm a nothing. And God doesn't smile on that. And then we're going to be bold and claim the victory. And no one feels that either. And we've got a hundred ways of trying to be what we, what's going to make people smile on us. And none of it works. I can remember being a teenager and walking across the courtyard in between the, the sanctuary and the fellowship hall and 43rd Street and hating myself for how self-conscious I was. I couldn't walk without thinking about what it looked like. And I knew I was doing it and I hated it. I felt like, I can't do this. This is stupid. Nobody's even watching. Nobody's even paying any attention. 
I know I'm not what I wish I was, and I know nobody else thinks I am anyway, and still, I can't escape from this cyclical thought process that is constantly self-examining. There's a self-examination that's authentic and legitimate that comes from God, but Paul tells us, examine yourself. Judge yourself so that you would not be judged. There's an honest self-reflection. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that is constantly conscious of how this is coming across. I'll tell you what, you'll never get the Holy Spirit like that. You'll never really be used of God like that. You'll never get anywhere like that. And that's where I was getting with it. <laughs> it was nowhere, and I knew it. It was part of my conversion was realizing how affected I was even when I knew it, that I didn't want to be affected. I can remember being a teenager, a young teenager, when we first came to the fellowship. You know, Brother Howard would come up here to Waco. That was back when there was only a few families in Waco who were kind of interested in what God was doing. Brother Howard would come up to Waco and he would hold meetings in whatever rented facility we could find. And maybe a third of this number would gather there. My family would come. And there was something about Brother Howard that I found completely compelling. And it was the authenticity of who he was. Maybe it was similar to what they said about Jesus. No one ever spoke like this man, for he's not like the scribes and the Pharisees. He speaks as one having authority, not one who's pretending authority not one with the leaven of hypocrisy. And we'd been to a bunch of churches we, in, a, in our search. You know, I'd seen all kinds of performances. I'd seen people who, who had the tears pleading with the congregation. You go, I don't know. I'd seen the ones, the Bible thumpers. I'd seen the smooth talkers and the jokers and the one who had to start every sermon with something about the NFL to make it relational or whatever. I'd seen all of that stuff. And yet here was somebody who didn't seem to care what anybody thought about him. We would sit there in the meetings, and Brother Howard would pray with all of his heart by himself. No one else in the room was praying. They were watching him, <laughs> including me. But it was like, God, what is this? What is this? There is something genuine. There is something legitimate and authentic going on here. This isn't an act. This isn't a performance. Did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? Thank you, Jesus. And it, even as a young person, it changed me. It made me know. It made me stand in fear and trembling that there was a different realm that one could come into. The hypocrite tries to manufacture the fruit of God's Spirit, but his plastic fruit can only turn away in bitter disappointment those hungry for the sweet reality of God's tender love. Can there be any greater enemy of God and destroyer of souls than the hypocrite, the sham Christian? Unbroken relationship with God and His people requires genuineness and authenticity. Our actual character must correspond to what we appear to be. We must speak with our real voice. We must first discover and then think, feel, 
speak and act in conformity to the unique and intricate image of God that He made us to be in Christ. We cannot pretend to be what we are not or live according to some image that has come to us from other sources besides God. To do so is to live out our entire existence as a lie. We must struggle to get through all the clutter and debris of counterfeit images of ourselves to find what we are in Christ as we conform to His image for our own particular life within the context of His corporate life in the church. Only the deepest and most prayerful relationship with God can bring this liberation into our identity revealed as the sons of God. But if we maintain this relationship in integrity and sincerity, we can be confident that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. As Brother Evan already ministered to us, we're all in process. We're all being purged out of the old leaven. We're all learning to be conformed to the image of His Son. God is going to be faithful to us in proportion to the sincerity and the integrity with which we pursue Him. In all this, God sets people free from whatever conforms them to any image other than His own. After all, most personal characteristics that people so tenaciously cling to did not originate within themselves. They came from the first Adam, or they were implanted by the culture of that nature. Or else people merely imitate others and then cling to that imitation until it becomes part of their identity. Again, God wants to free people from conformity to any image other than His own. And what greater freedom could anyone find than that? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When you said that early on, Brother Eben, about I became so attached to those images that I became that person that wasn't really me. I thought, you know, that's exactly what God wants to do in reverse. Amen. He wants us to be so committed, so dedicated, so practiced, and such striving so hard for that image that is not naturally us, called the image of Christ, that we're going to turn around someday and realize, I have become that image. More and more, I have been changed into somebody that I was not naturally. On the one hand, it is a revealing of who God made us to be. On the other hand, it is a rejection of everything that we naturally are in the flesh. And what a place of freedom. And I think most of us in here have been there for at least a moment or two in your life. And you know what we're talking about. That feeling of, God, I don't have anything to prove. I don't have anything to earn. I don't have anything to demonstrate. I told somebody the other day, you know, sometimes when I look at people who struggle to try to get past what the, showing other people what they think they're supposed to be. I was thinking of one particular brother, and I said, you know, I remember when God exposed him for a bunch of terrible, ugly sin in his life that even the world would think was disgusting. And I said, you know, in a sense, that brother was more real under that exposure than he has been in many other contexts. Because, you know, when, when you know who you are, when you're the woman caught in the very act, and you're there in front of everybody with your face in the dirt, you don't have anything to prove anymore. 
You've lost your image. The only direction to go is up. If we've fallen on our face, if we've messed it up, if we've made mistakes that humble us, hallelujah. It's part of the process of freeing us from that man who God did not make us to be and conform us and release us and set us free to be who God did, in fact, make us to be. And if it's just a place that we visit where we become real for a moment and then back into our shell, God is saying, come on, you were supposed to be living in Christ. It's supposed to become more and more part of our very identity to where we're no longer even thinking about it. The self-consciousness is completely gone. Brother Blair tells us that humility is not thinking less of yourself and it's not thinking more of yourself. It's not thinking about yourself. It's becoming so conscious of God, so aware of the needs of other people around us that it pulls you outside of yourself. You don't even know what you're doing, but you're so compelled to reach for your brother, to reach for your children, that it changes you. You become somebody different. Your kids will be looking at you and saying, what's come over dad? That's not a bad thing. Your brothers and sisters are going to be saying, this is not a lot like Dan. Hallelujah. Thank God for the capacity to change. Let it pull you outside of yourself. God, I'm going to lay down my images. I'm going to lay down my manipulations. I will not let you go until you bless me, until you change my name. God, there's too many needs. There's too many people who need God in this world. we got to change it. Amen. Jesus, help us. Conform us to the image of your Son. You know, sometimes it's the most well-meaning, well-intentioned among us who get the most trapped in what I'm talking about today, because we know in our hearts that we're not trying to live for the devil, we're not trying to go to the world. We know that we do want to live for God. We want to be His people. We want to serve Him. We want to love Him. We know we do love Him, but sometimes that knowledge causes us to not correctly identify or, or really see the problem in such a way that we can stop beating the air, you know, and realize that you can't do any of those good things in the flesh. So Brother Evan was speaking to it. I read the same passages from Romans 8 before the meeting. I told somebody earlier this week when Paul says that if we live by the Spirit then we will fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. But if we live according to the flesh, we won't. What does that mean? Sometimes we think living in the Spirit means doing the right thing. But if that's all that it means, then he's just saying, if you just do the right thing, then you would do the right thing. But if you are doing the wrong thing, then you're going to do the wrong thing. (laughs) But that doesn't help us, does it? He's trying to tell us that there are two different approaches to trying to do the right thing. We all know that if we give ourselves intentionally to the flesh, we're going to die. We know that that path leads to perdition. But it's in this struggle that Paul has just come out of describing in Romans 7, where he says, with my mind I serve the law of God. To will is present with me, but to do what I will to do and be, I can't find. 
The good I will try to do falls flat. The evil I will not to do ambushes me. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death, wretched man that I am? It's the struggle to do right that he's talking about. Amen. And he's saying, if you want to do right, if you want to be in the revealing of the sons of God, then you're going to have to do it in the Spirit. You're going to have to stop acting like you can somehow, in the flesh, come up with a plan or, or whatever that will project the right thing. It isn't going to work. It is only those who are led by the Spirit that are the sons of God. As he goes on to say there, if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, then we will live. If you fight the flesh with the flesh, it's going to be a frustrating, going in circles kind of life. Amen. But if we learn that, God, the way to get past this is to yield to you. It's to press into relationship. It's to go against my flesh, like Brother Evan said. And when I feel my flesh saying, well, I'll just try to do it like this, I'm going to make the decision Sister Karen said. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do this in the flesh one more time. I'm going to yield to God. I'm going to go against my nature, and I'm going to let Him pick me up and carry me in a way that I would not go. Just like Jesus told Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted. Peter was the guy who was going to live for God. Peter was the guy who was going to do everything for God. He was going to, he was going to go anywhere for Jesus. Jesus said, that's not maturity. Maturity is when you recognize that all that's not going to get you anywhere. You've got to learn to yield and let God pick you up and carry you in a way that you would never go on your own power. What a liberty to be the Lord's slave, to be a rag doll in the hands of God. What a liberty from the bondage of the flesh. And I feel the freedom of God being held out to us today. I came to read the passage to you, and I don't feel to read it all, but the passage that talks about that we all with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. The veil, he says, to, even to this day when Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts. But in Christ, that veil is ripped away. Amen. We get inside of him, inside of his purpose, inside of his spirit, inside of his body. And the veil is gone. We're back to the place in the garden where they were naked and unashamed. Amen. We're, we're vulnerable. We're transparent. We're clothed instead with power from on high. Clothed in the name of Jesus. Clothed in the identity of Christ. Covered under the blood of Jesus. Because we've cast off the animal skins of our own makings. We've cast off our own images and identities and we said, God, here I am, as naked as the day I was born. I'm coming as a little child to you. I'm trusting and believing that you are going to clothe me in your image. 